Good morning. It's always so good to be with you in chapel. I really look forward to it. And how many of you know that feeling you get when you're like, you've really got a word from the Lord? I get that like rush feeling, and then I want to rush. And then I get to this room and go, okay, God, just help me slow down and be with my people. Because you are my people. I, too, am a North Central alum. Um, I graduated from here a while ago, and uh, I met my husband here, and we've had just an amazing, incredible journey since then with the Lord. And I want to just introduce you to our family, so if you can put those pictures up. These are my babies, okay? On the left, that's me, and that's our first daughter, Samantha. Sam will be 25 in May. Um, Last year, I preached about her story with us and how she came to, to be our daughter. Um, and so, and then these are my five. We call them the K-Five because they all start with K. Uh, Keandre is in the middle. He's the oldest boy. Next to, he's seven. To the left of him is Kenya. Um, she's six. Kaya is five. Corey on the end there is four. And Kingsley, who we named her Kingsley because she was born on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, she is two. She's in charge of the whole family. And she will not let anyone think anything different. And so these are our babies. And we love them very much. Um, And Kenya wants to be the governor someday, so please remember that and vote for her. Okay. Uh, So that's a little bit about who I am. And today I was asked to preach on... God covenants a people. We had God creates a people, God calls a people, and now God covenants a people. And um, early in this year, God had kind of told me, hey, if you're going to preach this this year, I want you to preach on this thing. And I said, okay. And then Dr. Tennyson emailed me and said, would you preach on this? And I was like, sure. And then I kind of realized the thing God asked me to preach about is this thing, right? God does that for us. And so what is a covenant? A covenant is basically an agreement between two parties on how the relationship they're in is going to work. And there are varying opinions about how many covenants exist between God and humanity in Scripture. But there are five biblical covenants that are often pointed out as crucial to understanding God's relationship to humanity. Um, And one of them is, of course, the new covenant mediated by Jesus, right, where he pays the blood price that we no longer have to sacrifice lambs in order to make a covenant with God. But today we're going to look at the Mosaic covenant. Essentially, this is the deal that God gave the Israelites in Exodus as a part of how their relationship with him would work. This is kind of taking place after they've fled Egypt and God has led them out, and now he's saying, you've made it. Now here's the deal. Are you going to take it? I think marriage is often used as a way to explore covenant. Um, It's a good one to explore covenant and the idea of how we are married to Jesus, right? We are his bridegroom. And there's so much richness in that um, symbol. I was thinking about my own life and the covenants that I've made, right? The covenant I made when I was three that I'm still working in today, which is the covenant to be in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there was the covenant I made 15 years ago with my husband, where we stood in front of a bunch of people, a lot of people, 
um, and we said, this is how we're going to work together. This is how we're going to treat each other. This is how we're going to love each other. And it's going to be different than how we treat everyone else. Sometimes my husband will come home from work, and I'll come home from work, and we're a little, whatever, scattered. We have five kids at home. It's, it's busy. And sometimes he'll look at me and go, you know, I love you. You're my wife. I'd really like for you to stop talking to me like I'm your student. And I'll say, that's fair. And some days I come home and I say, hey, I love you. You're my husband. I'd really like for you to stop talking to me like an employee. And he'll say, that's fair. Because the covenant dictates that something different happens in our relationship than in all the other relationships we're in. But then there was a third covenant, a really big one. And I'm going to play a video of it today. So that is our adoption day for my big three. Um, the other two littles had their own, but um, that was a really special day. That was a day that I didn't know what was going to happen in that room. That was a day I didn't know that the judge would read it and say, the child shall now be called Keandre Andrew Leibengood, son of Lance Barry Leibengood and Desiree Snow Leibengood. That was the day I didn't realize quite how I would feel afterwards, that it would feel significant and different to be called into covenant with my children. Adoption is a type of covenant and a relationship scripture also uses to talk about our relationship with God, and that's the example that I want to explore today. So what does it mean to be in covenant relationship with God? Let's look at the Israelites in Exodus 19, 4 through 8. Like I've said, they're at the end of their journey out of Egypt. Moses has gone up the mountain to mediate, because we need a mediator, between us and the divine at this point. We need a mediator, someone who can stand in his presence. And he brings down this offer of a covenant relationship from God. It says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. 
So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Bible goes on to summarize, actually, in quite detail, what we spelled out with like, a, that's the summary, right, of a lot of depth of law after that. From about Exodus 20 to Leviticus 27, the law of God that will dictate right action for the people is given to them. And so I want to look at this a little more closely, this passage, and think about it a little bit and what it's telling us. The first is that we are acknowledging God's dominion over the earth. He talks about, I've brought you out of this thing. I've brought you to myself. The whole earth is mine. I want us to consider that today, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you are in relationship with the God of the universe. I think sometimes we get a little too comfortable actually calling him Father and forgetting to say Father God. We serve the God of the universe. Accepting this relationship with him means accepting a relationship not just with him, but with the body of Christ and the whole world. Because he calls us to himself, and he says, he gives the offer to to the Israelites together, right? And they take it together. So he calls them into oneness. He calls them into unity to be a kingdom of priests. Priests means you go and you tell other people about the Lord. So the covenant dictates our relationship with God and our relationship with each other and the world around us. We are meant to share the word of God with the world around us. That's a part of the covenant. But we are also meant to be a holy nation. This is the part, I think, that we're really going to hone in on today. You see, holy in the Hebrew is an acknowledgement of God and what belongs to God. So he is saying, that adjective is telling us, you are me and you belong to me. I am trying to make you into something like me. We have to have changing behaviors to be in right relationship with the family of God. Not in order to belong to the family, but in order to benefit the family. There's a difference there that I want to talk about because the covenant isn't the law. The covenant is the umbrella for the law. All relationships have conditions, ways in which we must act in order to be in healthy and fulfilling relationship with one another. The law isn't the covenant, but it helps us respect the covenant. You will be a holy nation. You see, in Leviticus, in the law, Leviticus 19.2 says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Matthew quotes that, essentially. In Matthew 5.48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection's scary, though. Anybody perfect in here? Okay. One person, Genesis. Excellent. 
I mean, you are named after scripture, so maybe, right? Um, uh, my children up there will be the first to tell you I'm not perfect. <laughs> Sam would be the first to tell you I probably had to apologize to her more than any person in my life because um, I didn't know how to parent a 17-year-old when she came to live with us. Perfection's scary, right? And we know that we can't attain perfection on our own, and so maybe sometimes we just don't even try. Maybe we say, I don't quite understand where Scripture's going with that. I don't think it's possible. I'm just going to ignore that piece. Here is what C.S. Lewis says. Some of you know I teach the C.S. Lewis in the Inklings class. Hey, it's on the ballot for the fall. If you want to take a good class with me, you should take it. Um, Lewis says in Mere Christianity, some people seem to think this means, unless you are perfect, I will not help you. And as we cannot be perfect, then if he meant that, our position is hopeless. But I do not think he did mean that. I think he meant the only help I will give is to become perfect. You may want something less, but I will give you nothing less. God will make us into a people who can do this if we let him. That's a part of the covenant. So how does the covenant relate to adoption? There's a problem in the church at large, I think. I've talked about it a little bit already. And it's this. We want God to be our father, but we don't want to be parented by him. I made this kind of connection because of Sam. Um, Sam lived with us after her dad died. She's my husband's biological cousin and, um, and became our daughter. And uh, her, her bio mom is still around. We have a good relationship with her. And she was telling me she had to tell somebody about her family and that they were confused because she told them, well, and they'd asked how many siblings she had. And she said, well, I have eight. Um, my mom and my dad had me together, but then they have like three other kids uh, not together. And then my parents have five kids. And so I have eight siblings. And they're like, but your mom and your dad have three. Your parents have, what it, that math doesn't work. And she's like, well, yeah, Jill and Dan are my mom and dad. Lance and Des are my parents. And she was making for the, the distinction for herself that it is possible to be a mom and a dad without actually parenting someone. And I think equally it is possible to serve a God, the Father, and not let him parent you. And I don't think this is just like the youth of today, right? We hear that a lot, right? The youth of today, they don't really understand the Lord. I found this quote that just blew my mind. It's from Dr. Kenda Dean. She's a leading researcher and faculty at Princeton Theological Seminary in youth and family ministry. And she talks about the fact that American Christianity today often preaches not gospel, but moralistic, therapeutic deism. So God, a deity, requires only that we be nice, moralistic, and that we come to him when we need something therapeutic. She puts it this way, and I got to read this whole thing because it's so good. She said, the problem does not seem to be that churches are teaching their young people badly, but that they are doing an exceedingly good job of teaching the youth what we really believe. Namely, that Christianity is not a big deal, that God requires little, and the church is a helpful social institution filled with nice people, focused primarily on folks like us, 
What if the blasé religiosity of most American teenagers is not the result of poor communication, but the result of excellent communication of a watered-down gospel? So devoid of God's self-giving love in Jesus Christ, so immune to all the sending love of the Holy Spirit, that it might not be Christianity at all. If this is the case, then perhaps most young people practice moralistic, therapeutic deism, not because they reject Christianity, but because this is the only Christianity they know. God does not require little of you. He is the God of the universe, and that demands something of us. I'm teaching a book right now called The End of the Affair by Graham Greene. The movie is garbage. Don't watch the movie. The book is excellent. And in it, this character is being pursued by God throughout his extramarital affair. And at the end, he's talking to a friend of his who has given their life to God and then died. And he says, kind of to this friend, I'm, I'm too much in health and life to give my life to God right now. Because I know if I do, it demands something of me. And I'm not ready to do that. And I think sometimes when we see God as the slot machine that we can put a quarter in and get something good, we don't acknowledge that he's the God of the universe and it demands something of us. And that something might not feel good all the time. God's nature and his character deserve this from us. In the adoption covenant, now, full disclaimer, I actually don't know what it's like to be a bio parent. I've never been that, okay? So I'm not saying this is in comparison to that. I'm just saying this is what I know of adoption. I know that in adoption, love is a choice. When we were matched with our children, we had to commit to them before we ever met them, which I think shocks some people sometimes, because, like, how could you do that? And I don't know how, but the minute I saw their photo, I knew. I knew I love these children. These children are mine. They are worth it. Think about how much more so God chooses us. He says that throughout Scripture. He says, you didn't choose me. I choose you. The God of the universe chooses us. God is our adoptive father, and I think about that in my own life. There is nothing my children can do to get me to stop that covenant with them. Marriage is a little different. I'm not going to lie. When we set up our marriage, we said, there are deal breakers. Let us not forget that. There are no deal breakers for my kids. I want the best for my children. Adoption, I think another thing people say to us a lot is like, your kids are so lucky. I'm like, no, they're not. First of all, that's a whole other baggage to talk about. They're not lucky to have me. I am blessed to be their parent. This isn't like a charity situation where we're trying to do good for humanity. These are my children. And how often do we look at ourselves as God's charity case? The thing he's only paying attention to because we're weak and poor, and he's saying, you are my child. 
I'm not going to win any parenting awards. I know that. My husband and I look at each other often and say, yeah, we're not winning that this year. I mess up a lot. But one thing I've come to find with my kids when they're having a bad behavior is that a better strategy than just saying, you're doing something bad. Uh, my six-year-old daughter, Kenya, who wants to be governor, has taken up looking at me and going, mm-hmm. And I, it sends me to a place that's not good um, when she does that. And so when I started saying to her, not just that's disrespectful, but that's disrespectful, who do you want to be? Do you want to be a respectful person? And then I say to her, I know who you are. And that behavior doesn't align with it. God knows us. He knows who you are. He knows who you are created to become. And he has decreed you are his. You are no longer your old self. He has written his name on you as your father God. And he wants to show you some things about who you are created to be and how your behavior might not be aligning with that. Lewis wrote, I told you I love Lewis. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. As the 21st century church, we like to talk a lot about the love of God And the old covenant is gone, and the new one has come, and we don't need the law. And that's not actually what scripture tells us. The author of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah's new covenant prophecy in Hebrews 8.10. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The band can start to come up. Declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The law isn't on the tablet of stone anymore. It is in your mind, and it is in your heart, and we are called to keep it as the covenant people of God. He wants to replace the sin in your life with his law. See, that which is written by God on the hearts of his people remains the same as that which was written on tablets of stone. We don't need Moses' mediation any longer, but we still do need the law of God because God continues to call us to holiness, to likeness with him, to righteousness. And in order to enact the law that God calls us to, we need his character within us. Because if we say we love, but we pay no attention to the law, we actually have no way in which to love. The aspects of the law that most fundamentally reflect God's own righteousness remain the same. We are called to that righteousness 
He is God, our Father, creator of the universe, God of everything. And that demands something from us. My challenge for you is a few things today. Three, actually. The first, ask God to write his law on your heart. Begin to ask him for conviction of your sin. I'm quite convinced I don't do that enough, and probably a lot of us don't. The second is this. Worry less about where God is taking you and more about who he is making you to be. If you do that, you will get to where he wants you to go. I promise you that. And I also promise you, it will be a thousand times better than you can ever imagine. We have a a photo of our wedding day hanging in our house. And I look at it with my husband, and sometimes we shake our heads and say, oh, those poor, innocent fools. You had no idea. And I ask him, do you think if we knew then what God was going to do in us that we would have said yes that day? I don't know, because I don't know that I would think, sure, God, I can do that. But he calls us into covenant, and he takes us where he wants us to go. But we need to be obedient to his law. And then the third thing is, to know his law, you've got to read his law. You have to know scripture. You have to get it into your heart, into your bones. One of the things that I think about is um, Eugene Peterson's book. It's called Eat This Book. And he says, St. John walks up to the angel and says, give me the book. The angel hands it over. Here it is. Eat it. Eat the book. And John does. He eats the book. Doesn't just read it. He got it into his nerve endings, his reflexes, his imagination. The book he ate was Holy Scripture. Is Scripture in your bones? Is it in your nerve endings and your reflexes and your imagination? We have got a lot that wants to come at our imaginations in this world today, and God's saying, I have an answer for that. You're struggling. I know how to build in you a palace. Let me come live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who demands much and also a God who gives more than we could ever imagine. I pray, God, that you would make our hearts soft to your demand today. I pray that we would be a people who follow you and covenant with you and live under your law. Convict us today, God. Write your law on our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.